0: And check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Offers end April 1st. Toyota, let's go places.
1: Hey, everybody. Welcome to Campaign HQ. I'm uh, recording this on Thursday morning, early Pacific time, November the 5th. And as all of you know, um, as of that point anyway, uh, we do not have a formally declared winner of the presidential race, but we are getting close. And we know who's going to win. That's Joe Biden. We just need uh, some vote counting to continue. Um, So I'll just start with, you know, where we are. Uh, Joe Biden is now ahead in in enough states in that one congressional district in Omaha. Thank you, Nebraska, uh, to be a 270 continuing to count votes in Arizona. Um, you know my sense of the numbers and, and talking to people who know the state well uh, is we may see some further tightening from Biden's lead right now, but um, you know he's likely to keep his margin north of 20,000 votes, uh, which is about where it ended up in Wisconsin. But let's see. Uh, the one thing we know about this election is because you know, although in Arizona, you know we have a lot of history of uh, mail-in voting and provisional voting um, and in-person voting and in hall that mix, Um, comes together and gets counted in different tranches. So less, um, I think, unknowns there, there are some states where we had, you know, mail-in ballots of this measure, uh, you know, large measure for the first time and, you know, different states counted in different ways based on their laws, but looks like he should hold on in Arizona. I fully expect when Nevada releases their results, um, a lot of what's left to be counted is mail-in votes um, that Biden will both be ahead and be declared the winner. Uh, in Georgia, you know, my sense of the numbers and talking to people down there is that could end up being um, within 5,000 votes, literally. We'll see, um, one way or the other. So we're probably headed to a, a recount there. Uh, and then I, in Pennsylvania, um, you know, my sense is it's not going to end up being very close. I mean, it could be a point, a point and a half, two points but it's going to be more like Michigan than Wisconsin. So Joe Biden will be declared the winner in Pennsylvania. We have the president of the United States um, tweeting out today in all caps, stop the count. Not very subtle. Uh, Of course, that would mean Joe Biden would be elected president um, if he was at 270, which makes no mathematical sense. But, you know, getting inside that tortured, addled brain uh, is never pleasant. But my sense is Trump knows, at least at some subconscious level, he's lost and would much rather lose at 270 with Pennsylvania colored in red and Georgia colored in red than blue. Uh, That's obviously not going to happen. But I think that's what's driving his twisted behavior. And we'll see. I mean, you know, we saw armed protesters uh, in Arizona uh, yesterday. I'm sure they'll be there today. Of course, uh, yelling out count the vote while Trump supporters in Michigan were saying stop the count so uh, deeply inconsistent um you know trump seems to just want to count trump votes in states where biden's ahead Uh, but that's not the way our system works it's just you know worth reminding in case your uncle rudy or aunt kayla uh, are in your facebook feed uh, suggesting fraudulent or it's being stolen one um, you know michigan pennsylvania wisconsin all by law had to count their absentee ballots late Uh, the secretaries of state in those states asked the legislature to change the rules just remind your Aunt Kayla and Uncle Rudy that, um, you know, as we watch the votes come in in Texas, in Florida, in Ohio, and Iowa, even Joe Biden was ahead in all of those states because the mail-in vote that, you know, was more predominantly Democratic this year was reported early. That was counted first. That was been counted for weeks and was finally released on Election Day. And then as Election Day vote was counted, um, we saw uh, Trump perform strongly and take the lead. So if we had done the same thing in Michigan, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin, you know, Biden would have gone out to a huge lead, and we would have seen Trump slowly, slowly peck away at it, and he would have fallen short in all three. But that's simply what's going on. And these are all votes that have cast were cast weeks ago, um, and uh, again, by law, couldn't be counted. So, um, you know, we're starting to learn a little bit more about what happened in Election Day. I, I will, in, in the next section, I'm going to talk about the polling miss and, and some initial thoughts about why that happened. Although very incomplete. Um, But as as votes come in, you know, you begin to, particularly when full counties are reported, um, and you can look at the precinct level, even, you you know, you get some sense of what happened. Um, I'm going to talk about Florida in the next section, talk about the Rio Grande Valley in the next section. But I was just looking um, at the Detroit um, numbers, Wayne County, uh, and turnout was up there. Uh, While it was flat compared to 16 in Milwaukee, so, um, and that's probably why the margin was more narrow uh, in Wisconsin in in some part than in Michigan. We saw turnout up. I would expect we may see turnout up in Philly as well, uh, which is exciting. Um, We also now know, uh, just literally minutes ago, uh, the Georgia Senate race numbers changed and John Ossoff now looks like he's heading to a runoff uh, to join uh, Reverend Warnock. So, um, you know, we're gonna have an early January battle for the Senate with two Senate races. You know, historically, particularly after a party wins the presidency, um, you know, that's a tough race. You know, can you generate the same kind of enthusiasm and momentum that you had? Um, And I'm sure, you know, Republicans will be told that this is the way to uh, take revenge on a stolen election and all the bullshit we're going to hear. But listen, we saw from Stacey Abrams' performance in 18, we see from Joe Biden's performance today, whether he wins uh, narrowly or or loses narrowly painfully, uh, we can win Georgia and um, if we we just you know our strength in suburban areas is growing we see the kind of turnout that could be generated so if we can create the kind of turnout that you might see in a presidential year um, and you know we make the case uh, in a powerful way to these persuadable voters you know because this is the way we're going to expand health care This is the way we're going to expand voting rights. This is the way we'll tackle climate change. This is the way we will get a handle firmly on the pandemic. Is for Joe Biden to have as many allies as possible. I think it's possible. So everybody out there, um, everybody's tired. Everybody's exhausted. Everybody did so much. I'm going to talk about that later in the podcast, how great you should feel about what you did. But you got to saddle up again. Um, Even if we end up losing those two races, uh, we've got to fight with everything we've got. And I don't think... Um, we have to lose those two races, I think um, runoffs because Republicans just more reliably vote in every election. So a runoff like a special election, you know, creates special challenges for us. But the numbers are there to win. So these candidates will need resources. They'll need volunteer time. Now we're talking about not a national election, but one state. Georgia is a big state. But it's within reason that we can reach every single voter that we need to, to encourage them to vote, to have persuasion calls. I'm sure they'll be canvassing in Georgia. Uh, obviously, um, that's an opportunity for people who want to travel down to slightly warmer weather, <laughs> uh, you know, in December, January. And then for all of you in Georgia, um, you have uh, really done such amazing, heroic work, both in 18 and, and 20. But you're going to get asked now to do even more. Um, So much of our future rests on your hands, and um, we have complete confidence and faith in what you're going to be able to do down there because, you know, you have really put Georgia in play despite the fact that a lot of people thinking it couldn't be. So we know what you can do, and and now you're going to have more resources to do it. So um, Georgia becomes the center of the political universe for a couple of months. Um, You know, my sense is by the time this podcast drops, maybe we'll know, but if not, um, you know, my guess is we'll know by the end of Thursday, Friday morning at the latest, um, that Joe Biden has formally been elected president. He will have been declared president. Um, I do think that we just need to be patient and understand these are American citizens who cast votes, and they're being counted as they always are. Um, But the sooner the better, obviously, just because we have an American president who is trying to foment violence. Uh, and suggest that a legitimate election uh, was not legitimate. Um, and we knew this was coming, uh, but it's still painful to see. I, I thought the East Room event that he had, first of all, having worked in the White House to see somebody uh, basically deface it um, and hold probably the single most destructive event that building's ever seen, was awful, even though we knew what he was going to say. Um, you know, suggesting that votes shouldn't be counted or only his vote should be counted. Uh, again, uh, breaking every norm. And so far, um, you know, most of the Republican Party, most importantly, Fox News, the decision desk anyway, and their, their daytime programming, uh, have held the line. You're starting to see more of the Ingrams and the Angles and certainly some of the more extreme voices online um, now follow Trump. And so um, that will only grow. And I think Joe Biden uh, is going to be our next president. He'll we'll know that relatively soon. Um, You know, Mitch McConnell's already talking about how he's going to deal with Biden cabinet appointments. So, you know, the world's moving on here, even if Trump doesn't want to. But, you know, I don't know what percentage of Trump's voters will think that um, Biden was not legitimately elected, um, but it will not be insignificant, maybe half, maybe 60%. Um, So you're going to have a quarter of the country, maybe slightly more than that, believing that our election was not valid. And, um, you know, that's going to make governing even more challenging just because Republicans who are going to run in primaries in 2022 or those who are going to seek the presidency in 24 are going to feel like they've got to sing that song um, to satisfy the Trump base. And of course, you know, Trump may end up running in 24. We'll see. Um, you know, he's clearly shown himself to be, um, you know, a powerful political performer um, because he can turn out his vote. He, he, I'll talk about that in the next section, but that's something, as you know, I've talked about almost every episode of this podcast, that no matter what else happened, um, he was going to turn out his vote. It looked by the end, according to polls, that that wouldn't be enough, but the polls were off and he did turn out his vote. I mean, um, his, his turnout was strong, but Democrats was strong as well, uh, you know, and, and we got turnout where we needed it to be. Um, And so, um, you know, we'll see about Trump, but, you know, my guess is right now, whether it's he or Ivanka or or Trump Jr., we'll see somebody in that primary ring in twenty four. Um, there are others far more expert than me about the Republican Party and its primary process and its voters. but um, So I'll violate um, that preamble by saying, you know, losers take on a different patina. And I think, um, you know, how much of the Republican Party will be looking for a return of Trump, we'll see. I think they're going to still be looking for a lot of elements of Trumpism, but are they looking for Trump to represent that? Um, I think that's a very much an, an open question. So, um The good news is you're gonna head into this weekend after the election knowing who our president is. The better news is you're gonna know that president is Joe Biden. uh, And that really one of the greatest threats the country and world has ever known, sadly that being in the form of an American president, uh, is gonna be removed. And um, a lot of other things happened in the election, good and bad. Um, We didn't have the landslide we hoped. um, Certainly didn't win back the Senate. Um, On election day, although we have a chance to do it in January, lost house seats. The state house picture was not what we hoped, particularly going into redistricting year. So I'm going to talk about that in the next section um, with a big caveat that there's so much we don't know yet. And and it's not just looking at the county results. That helps, but it's going to take months and months and months of of research and additional data um, to see what happened uh, and why. Um, But at the end of the day, we are reminded that this is a closely divided country. Republicans get their turnout, more elections than not. When it surges like it did this time, it makes it even more challenging. But Joe Biden and his campaign and all of you were able to overcome that in the states we needed to to overcome that. But it's just going to be incredibly important to understand where our strengths are as a party, where the challenges are, where the opportunities are um, to fully maximize that. And I think what we see is, um, you know, we just have to win elections. Nothing matters more in terms of um, the issues you want to pursue, um, the direction you want your state or county or city or country to take, then an election. Everything in this country, the wars we fought, we fight or don't, the roads we build or don't, the people have health care uh, or not, the people whose taxes are cut or the people whose taxes are raised, the environmental uh, protection legislation we put in place or the protection of polluters that gets done. Every issue, local, state, national, and of course, affects the world. It starts as a political decision, not as a policy decision or a legal decision. Who we elect gets the chance to enact their agenda. So, you know, if we don't want more Amy Coney Barrett's, we can't lose the presidency. Uh, if we want progressive legislation, we've got to win the Senate. And so, um, you know, if we want to cooperate with the rest of the world on climate change and pandemic. We have to win the White House all the time. And so that has to be the goal, I think, is how do we get to the point where more reliably than not, which is more challenging today because of the Electoral College. One point I'll make is, you know, Joe Biden's gonna end up winning the popular vote by more than Barack Obama did in 2012. Now we had a tough race against Mitt Romney, but we won it, we won national uh, popular vote by three points, but you know, we won 332 votes in the Electoral College. And with the exception of Florida, you know, none of them particularly close the battlegrounds. You know, Joe Biden's going to end up maybe at 306, which is a big number if he gets Georgia in addition to Pennsylvania. But but many of those states narrow. So the the divide is growing. And while we'd all like to, or maybe most of us, I don't know, maybe not all of us would like to move to a popular vote system, that's certainly not going to happen uh, anytime soon. And so we have to win on the playing field as it exists. And so that means we have to figure out a way to keep Michigan, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin not just competitive, but states we can win. And that's going to get increasingly difficult just because of demographics. And then we obviously need to add every year Arizona and Georgia and North Carolina to Virginia and Colorado, which, you know, 12 years ago were not battleground states. Now they're, you know, almost solid blue states. So we've got to put those in play. Um, Texas, I know the polling suggested it was going to be closer, but Biden got within five points. So the march from 08 to 12 to 16 to 20 continues to move in a progressive direction. So we got to stay at it because, again, having that competitive, even if you lose it, is huge. But, um, you know, the numbers are there to win it. Um, and Florida is going to require special work just because of what happened in Miami-Dade, which I'll talk about in the, in the next section. Um, but Florida um, is, is a winnable state. Um, it's not winnable if we're only winning Miami-Dade by 15 points. But if we can get that back, you know, more in the you know normal range of 2025 and continue our growth in the suburban areas of the state, um, you know, we can be competitive. So that's going to require year-round work from everybody. Um, yes, our candidates, but also all of you. We've got to make sure we're registering people, not just right before an election. We've got to make sure we're going out there and listening to people about their concerns and Um, trying to enlist them in organizing activities, um, getting people to vote in special elections and off-year elections. It's just got to be basically a commitment everybody makes as part of their life um, because otherwise we're not going to get the success we want. So, um, you know, winning the presidency um, has to happen. We just have to win it. And that's hard because, of course, if we do have success, then people's natural inclination will be, well, we've had eight years of Democrats. We need to go give the Republicans a chance. Um, But we saw that's one of the reasons Trump won in 16. But a black swan event happened, and, you know, if it hadn't, we would have won. And um, so I think the numbers are there for us to win more often than not. Uh, And then, obviously, we've got to hold on to the House. We've got to fight like hell uh, to get the Senate. Um, And then, you know, the down-ballot races. We see how important, by the way, secretaries of state are. Just following the law, which they should all do, but to have strong Democratic secretaries of state in all these um, states um, that are counting ballots, you know, Pennsylvania, Arizona, North Carolina, Michigan uh, has been so important. Um, obviously, uh, electing Democratic governors um, in Michigan, uh, in Wisconsin, so important. Again, simply because they'll follow the law, you know, not because they're, um, you know, preferring one side or the other. So um, we got to stay at it. So, you um, You know, take a minute to soak in the fact that Donald Trump will be off the stage, at least for a while. Joe Biden will be our president. I think he'll be a really, really good one. And let's figure out how to have an even better 22 uh, and 24 uh, when the dust settles here. So let's get into kind of what we know so far about the numbers, again, with a huge, huge caveat that the polls were off in most states means the exit polls, we should be careful about drawing massive conclusions based on that. Yes, we have some vote-in in in, in most places now, so you can begin to see the actual vote. You'll learn a lot from that. But there's so much more that's going to have to be studied. But let's kind of look at what happened, why the ultimate outcome uh, did depart from what many of us expected heading into an election day, um, and more importantly, what we can do about it. So now let's talk about what happened in terms of uh, the divergence from where the polls and models showed the race and where it ended up. So you know, as I've talked about often on this podcast, probably to the point that uh, I annoyed some of you, um, you know, I was convinced that Trump was going to get very strong turnout. I think there was a question at the end because he didn't seem to be closing particularly well. Um, Would that hurt his turnout? But you know, I often talked about Wisconsin as a good example. He won Wisconsin in 16 with a million four hundred thousand votes. You know, if he put up another two hundred thousand votes, um, you know that was going to be a steep hill for Joe Biden to be able to overcome. He was able to do it uh, by about twenty thousand votes, but that speaks to the challenge when that raw vote total for Trump increases. So Trump got his turnout. Now, the projections are this is going to be the best turnout um, in a century, um, and. Um, Or at least 60 years Um, That comes on the heel of um, you know the best turnout in a Mid-year election uh, in a century as well. So two successive races with strong turnout I think what you saw in 18 was Democrats got the advantage on turnout now Republicans did have strong turnout in some red states, which is how they were able to win some of those Senate races as you recall But you know Democrats I think were advantaged more by that high turnout. I think in this case and it's very early The polls were off, which means, you know, the exit polls are off. We still don't have all the vote in. Um, But, um, you know, I think probably both parties were advantaged by the turnout. Um, And we'll have to see if if in Milwaukee the numbers hold up. Uh, Joe Biden's uh, turnout in Milwaukee is about what Hillary Clinton had in 16. So he didn't win with increased turnout there. Uh, He won because he uh, did better in some of the suburban areas uh, in particular, um, and so um, we, there's a lot more we have to see about that. Um, but I think Trump got high turnout. And then, of course, the other race reason the race would be closer um, than um, it looked heading into election day is if the polls were off significantly. Um, and they were. Now, it looks like in Arizona, they were pretty accurate. In Minnesota, they might have even understated Joe Biden's support. Um, you know, but for the most part, across the board, by the end, uh, they were off a few points in the states. You know, Joe Biden's national vote lead is going to continue to grow over the next month. He could end up winning this by four points, five points, which is a big lead. Um, but that's still off the national poll average, which was around eight or nine. So there was a polling miss, uh, you know, second election cycle uh, in a row. And, you know, it looks like Joe Biden's lead uh, was significant enough, uh, you know, that he could or position in the race that he could withstand um a polling error, but I think the combination of the polling era, Trump doing very well um, with turnout uh, as far as I can see so far. Uh, and then of course, the thing that really surprises me, and again, these exit polls might be just wrong. They might be screwy, but they suggest that late deciding voters broke for Trump once again as they did in 16. I think what's even more surprising this time is Biden's favorable rating, you know, was much more positive than Hillary Clinton's was. You know, Donald Trump's continued to be poor. I thought he closed the campaign quite poorly. Um, You know, doing these rallies, um, you know, that I think a lot of people thought were ill-advised, you know, waving a white flag on the coronavirus, not having consistent economic messages, all things I thought would not allow him to do well with those late deciders, but it did. And one thing I'll be interested in in the Um, you know, analysis that will be coming in, not just in the next few days, but really over the next few months, uh, as we dig into this and more uh, research is done, um, is, you know, you saw in the exit polls probably, um, you know, what a dominant issue the economy was. It always is, not surprising, uh, but definitely um, uh, the dominant issue is, is whether Trump's attacks on Biden for you know, wanting to lock down the country, which is not true, of course, but Trump's attack that Biden's going to lock down the economy, no one will be able to go to work, go to school, you won't have holidays. Well, that might have worked for some of those late deciders. We'll see at the end of the day. Um, but that, that is one uh, theory. Um, you know, we obviously, as we have votes counted, we don't have to rely on exit polls uh, to see some important trends. And, you know, one in Miami-Dade, all of you probably know more about Miami-Dade than you ever cared to know about. Uh, But, you know, what happened there uh, was not the only reason uh, Biden lost Florida, but his margins there were so much lower uh, than they were for Hillary Clinton or Barack Obama uh, in both of his races. Um, You know, so that cost him at least a couple hundred thousand votes. Um, And, um, you know, we'll have to see in future years uh, if, if Republican strength there was unique to Trump some of the attacks on Biden for being a socialist, which had, I think, particular resonance with uh, people from the Venezuelan community and the Cuban-American community, Um, we'll have to see. Uh, But if, if Republicans are able to keep Democrats to a 15, 16 point lead in Miami-Dade, it's going to be really hard for Democrats to win statewide. Um, Biden did, uh, you know, show some strength in some suburban areas of Florida, as was anticipated. But, you know, as we saw, so I'll talk about Florida, but, you know, we saw that this in western Pennsylvania. We saw this in uh, many places in Wisconsin. We certainly saw it in Iowa and Ohio. Um, Trump's margins in smaller counties um, have held up in many cases, he was able to, to you know, maybe he lost two or three. He was up two or three. But I think there was a belief that Joe Biden would be able to cut into those. So in a county, maybe Donald Trump won 70-30 against Clinton. Um, you know, maybe, um, you know, Biden could cut it to 65-35. And I think for the most part, Trump was able to both keep his margins and drive huge turnout. Um, so, you know, that's an important factor going forward as well. Democrats have to become more competitive, uh, in those places. We don't have to win most of them or any of them really, but we got to cut the margin down. South Texas, another place where, um, you see, uh, with a Latino vote, um, you know, Trump overperformed along the border. And I think it's really important to understand that, you know, immigration, uh, is not a, uh, a public policy issue that's removed from people's lives along the border, no matter your uh, race or ethnicity, you live with it every day. Um, and I think for a lot of these uh, voters, there uh, Mexican American um, voters, maybe they've been uh, their family's been in the country for decades. Um, you know, this issue is more complex, uh, and you know they may see this as you know a lot of people from um, you know El Salvador, Nicaragua trying to come in and and causing issues and. Um, even though they have sympathy for them, um, I think particularly with male Hispanics, um, you know, Trump's approach here on immigration um, might have paid some dividends. So I think there's 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 uniqueness to what happened with uh, Miami-Dade and the Cuban and Venezuelan community. I'm really eager to see more data on the Puerto Rican uh, community, uh, both in Pennsylvania and in Florida. Um, and then I think there's some uniqueness to uh, the Hispanic vote uh, along the border in Texas. So um, we have to understand that the Hispanic vote is not monolithic We talked about that um, on this program with several of our guests, but uh, in particular with Fernando Mondi, um, pollster out of Florida, who I thought gave us a great overview of how all these voters across the country are different. Now, it looks like Biden did what he needed to do with the Hispanic vote in Arizona, uh, in Nevada. Uh, growing Hispanic vote in places like Pennsylvania, North Carolina, so uh, it was a different tale, uh, you know, depending on the state and the background of this voter. But that's going to require a lot of study, and obviously, um, you know, Donald Trump now looks like, again, if the exit polls are right, and they may not be, um, you know, he got the highest share of um, uh, the non-white vote uh, Republicans had in decades, um, up to 29%, uh, showing some strength also with African-American men. Uh, And so, you know, politics isn't static. Um, You know, this isn't going to be like, we get all the gains with demographic changes, they get all the loss. Uh, And so that's why Democrats showing strength in the suburbs. So another thing I'll comment on, Um, And this is based on the exit polls, but also we have enough places around the country where 100% of the vote in that are suburban counties to see, you know, there was a significant swing from 16 to 20, not quite as pronounced uh, by my uh, cursory look at the data as there was between 16 and 18, when we won all those house races, um, all over the country and many state house seats. But uh, Joe Biden, uh, you know, uh, six, seven points better in many places than Hillary Clinton did in 16. Uh, and that's why he was able to um, win a state like Wisconsin, uh, even though Milwaukee turnout doesn't look like it was uh, higher than it was in 16. Um, so that needs to continue for the Democratic Party, um, I think to be able to win year in and year out. Um, so there's so much more we need to learn and we're going to learn most of all by you know really great analysis of the actual vote. Um, There'll be more polling done. So the polling was way off again. We're going to have chapter and verse for many people about why that was um, uh, two cycles in a row. Um, You know, it was more accurate in 18. So maybe this does have something to do with Donald Trump uh, and some of the uniqueness he brings to uh, elections. Um, But um, I know I am uh, really, really eager to learn more about why the polling was off this time. Uh, The modeling that gets done off, that polling was off. Modeling is not just based on polling. It's based on a lot of different data points, but clearly that was off. And, um, you know, I think that we're going to learn a lot about what 2022 may look like here. I know we just got done with one election. Let's take a while before we talk about the next, but we have a really important election in 22. Democrats will have their House majority uh, at stake. Uh, There will be redistricting done. Um, Sadly, we're not going to be as well positioned for that as we would have uh, liked if we had won more state houses. We have some U.S. Senate opportunities. Uh, But, you know, one thing that's looming for me is, you know, 18 was, again, historic turnout. Best in 100 years, strong Democratic turnout. 2020, huge turnout again, I think uh, probably equally driven by Republicans and Democrats, but also a lot of people who don't affiliate with either party, Um, you know, Democrats are going to need to have that kind of turnout again. Now, maybe without Trump uh, in the picture, um, you know, Republican turnout will fade, but they always uh, get their turnout much more easily than we do. So, you know, one question is this activism that we've seen on the progressive side, Uh, that was really intensified by Donald Trump, you know, will that continue? Is is this now going to be a lifelong uh, mission for people? And if it is, I have more confidence. And you see, you know, despite um, some of the setbacks in in right now not winning back the Senate, although we have a chance in Georgia, um, obviously, uh, all that matters is getting Donald Trump out of the White House. I'm sure we all would have liked Joe Biden to Um, Win, you know, 350 electoral votes and have Donald Trump be thoroughly repudiated. It makes me sad and and disgusted and and, and puzzled that we didn't do that, but he won. Um, But, you know, I think um, obviously not the election of our dreams, but the election, you know, we needed to have at its core. Um, But a lot of ballot initiatives passed. I mean, Florida passed a minimum wage at a time when Trump was winning by five points. Uh, I'm in California You know, really, uh, a really important criminal justice uh, measure was defeated. Um, You know, the proponents wanted to, uh, you know, once again have a lot more um, misdemeanors charged as felonies and much more serious uh, sentences. So um, I want to do a lot more analysis of all these ballot initiatives, but some really great progressive wins, um, which shows the power of organizing, even when not every race in your state goes well. um, You're moving. The ball down the field and, and making progress. So um, I am, am am very eager. Quite frankly, I haven't had as much time as I would like to go county by county and 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 deeper into those counties to look at the data. Um, I, you know, I'm kind of an amateur in that regard, but uh, I personally am eager to do it and and to be educated more by people who would tell us more about what really happened, um, both in terms of the polling areas, but but I'm much less I'm much less interested in that, quite frankly. Uh, you know, than in what really happened on election day. Um, and let's really look at in kind of a state by state, uh, local county by local county, where were there shifts, uh, where was there turnout variance, um, and, and try and learn from that. Um, because I think that uh, it will not just better inform us in terms of what just happened, but better prepare us for the future. You know, so some thoughts uh, going forward. Um, You know, I'm recording this on on Wednesday, so my hope is by the time uh, some of you listen to this on Thursday and Friday, uh, you know, Joe Biden will be declared the president-elect of the United States. Um, We may know if we're having two uh, runoffs in Georgia or just one. There's more House races yet to be called, more state House races yet to be called. Uh, You know, but what does this mean uh, going forward? Um, And again, I think we have a lot more questions than answers. But I think 2022 is going to have to be a year where we have huge turnout again. It just has to be. Again, you can't count on the other side um, shitting the bed. So maybe they will. That would be great without Trump on the scene. Um, but um, to, to win the kind of races we're going to need to win in the Senate, in the House, and at the state uh, House level and, and, and gubernatorial, we're going to have to have great turnout. Uh, and that can't wait for those races to emerge or candidates to, to win primaries. I think – Um, We saw in this election um, the remarkable amount of financial resources that were driven into the presidential race, Senate races, uh, advocacy groups doing great registration and and turnout work on the ground. Um, We had all the money we needed. So I I think if there's smart plans out there about we're going to You know, really stay organizing Texas, and we're going to do a lot of organizing in key Senate race states like Pennsylvania and Wisconsin. Uh, We're going to do great organizing um, and message delivery and listening. Well, good organizing starts with good listening in Miami-Dade, we have to figure out a way. And, you know, yeah, maybe in an ideal world, that's the DNC's job. It, it never really has been. So state parties can do some of that. Third party groups are going to have to do some of that. What I'd like to see is sort of tables come together in these states and, and figure out what kind of registration needs to happen, um, what kind of listening needs to happen, be uh, asking people about their views on issues and what's happening in Congress or in their state legislature, uh, not just when we're asking for a vote. Um, but but all the time, uh, you know, recruit, uh, you know, great candidates uh, in these states, uh, particularly people who may be, uh, you know, breaths of fresh air, who don't necessarily come from a lifetime uh, of politics, and really understand um, what it's going to take to win these states. I often talked uh, on this podcast uh, about needing to um, assign more vote to Trump than you thought he was going to get in terms of turnout, and and maybe give him a higher vote share. And you know, at the end of the day, that wasn't being captured in polls or the models. Um, so maybe it looked like the bottom was falling out, but the bottom didn't fall out uh, for Donald Trump. And so I think really being clear-eyed about how many votes will it take to win, um, you know, a district or a county or a state, and really being less. Uh, moved by polling in the moment, but kind of a clear-eyed view based on what we just saw in 16, 18, and 20. Politics is not static, of course, so you have to account for changes. But what is it really going to take uh, if it's not the idealized scenario, if it's basically um, a battle royale uh, where every side's fighting for an extra inch? What's that going to take? And, and, and really do a lot of work back from that and make you know not just a, a two-year commitment, but hopefully a decade-long commitment. Because what's clear is um, Joe Biden, uh, has won Wisconsin and Michigan. Maybe by the time you listen to this, he will have been declared the winner of Pennsylvania, but very narrowly, uh, which is all he had to do at the end of the day. Um, he's going to win those three, three States combined by more than Donald Trump, one in 16. Um, but, um, you know, uh, and I think we'll be competitive in those States, uh, as, as far as my eye can see, um, but they're going to get tougher. Um, there's less migration into those States. Um, you know, if we don't get stronger uh, in those rural and exurban, uh, rural and exurban areas, and show consistent ability to win some of the blue-collar counties, and that is a good piece of news. Biden um, in Wisconsin and Pennsylvania, and in some of those blue-collar counties, was able to gain a few points over Hillary. So an- another important. We, while Trump really did maintain his rural and exurban strength, Biden was able to eat into some of those blue collar uh, margins. Um, but we've got to look uh, at the good news is Arizona, Georgia, North Carolina, I think are just core battleground states right now. Virginia is clearly um, you know, a very, very solid blue state right now. Nevada is closer than I would have liked to see, uh, but I think more often than not, we should be able to put together a winning coalition there. I wouldn't give up on Florida um, because at the end of the day, um, we know we can win Florida. It's going to take a lot of work, uh, but it's too big of a state, uh, certainly from an Electoral College standpoint, to give up. You don't want to put all your hopes on that. And then Texas. Obviously, there was a lot of hope um, that Texas was going to come down to a point or two. Um, Donald Trump ended winning it by five, but we see the trajectory from 04 to 08 to 12 to 16 to 20. It gets closer and closer. Uh, And with a lot of hard work. I think we can uh, put Texas uh, in play firmly in 2024 um, in the presidential race and and hopefully be very competitive there in in 2022. We have to. Um, We see, again, how important having a wide battleground map is. Joe Biden uh, ended up winning this election, um, or certainly looks like he's going to win this election, you know, even though he lost, you know, quite a few of the battleground targets. That's where you want to be heading into election day. Uh, is you want to be able to not have a high batting average. Of course, you'd like to bat a thousand, and that's your goal. And that means if you do that, um, you know you you really put an ass kicking on either side. Uh, but 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 you want to be in a position where you can lose a bunch of battleground states and, and win enough to win. And that's what he was able to do. And I, I do want to commend the Biden campaign. I think General uh, O'Malley Dillon, the the campaign manager, did, did a tremendous job, and the campaign was very disciplined. They were getting criticism for not sending Biden to Texas or seeming to spend much too much time and money in Wisconsin and Pennsylvania and Michigan when polls looked like at least two of those were done deals. And, you know, they saw that those races could be close. And so um, they also, though, when they saw opportunity in Georgia uh, and in Arizona, poured everything they could into it. A lot of. Uh, Third-party groups on our side also did uh, remarkable work, uh, acronym, A acronym, a group I uh, am on the board of and work with, really focused the last few months here on low information, hard-to-turn-out young voters. Uh, and, and, you know, I, I do think that uh, uh, all the groups that did work there from Joe Biden's campaign on down should be proud, the Sunrise Movement, because it looks like, again, the exits may be off, but if the exit polls are right, you know, young people delivered this victory for Joe Biden. I mean, his margins with people under 29... Are going to be higher than Barack Obama's were in 2012, and not too far off 2008. So you know, young people delivered a victory for the oldest candidate ever to win the presidency, um, and and that really uh, is encouraging again because I think that activism uh, doesn't necessarily have to be just about Donald Trump. Uh, it, it can continue on in 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 electoral campaigns and issue campaigns, uh, and was wonderful to see. But we've got to make sure that um, you know we have the ability to win the Senate seats that um we need to win in 22 we've got a we lost some uh, ground in the house unfortunately so how do we make sure at the very least we maintain our majority in 2022 but perhaps gain a few seats and then how do we build um, you know in 2021 in, in 2022 in 2023 in the first half of 2024 um, for that next presidential race so we're still competing in Pennsylvania Michigan and Wisconsin um, you know, Ohio and Iowa have gotten tougher for us. We'll see where that is. Uh, you know, we, we've got to make sure we continue to hold on to New Hampshire and Maine. So you got to do a lot of work there. you got to do a lot of work in Minnesota defensively. Um, but then, you know, we've got to keep these states in play. And I think that um, you know, people a lot smarter than I am will have a lot of thoughts about that and how to do it. But I know that's what we have to do. I mean, that may sound like a permanent campaign, but that's what's going to be required. To make sure these states are in as strong uh, a position as possible to allow us to have a decent 22, to allow us to win those electoral college votes in the Georgias and the Arizonas, maybe even the Texases, uh, in 2024 and in 2028. So the work continues, and and what's pretty clear, you know, if Trump were to lose by 10 points nationally, and um, you know Bi- Biden won every battleground state, um, I don't think Trumpism would be dead, but it would be more mortally wounded than it is today. Uh, Trumpism is alive and well, Uh, and I think that you're going to see the same forces that Trump—maybe he didn't unleash, but he accelerated them—continuing the Republican Party. I think people thinking about winning primaries in 2022, the potential Republican presidential field in 2024, uh, is not going to want to do anything to antagonize the Trump base. So the conspiracy theories, the lack of any kind of compromise, um, the hypocrisy Um, The race baiting, the anti-immigrant rhetoric is going to continue, sadly. So I I mourn for our country in that regard. Um, But the only thing we can do uh, is stay in the fight and make sure ultimately, um, you know, the side for justice and and equality um, and fairness um, wins out. And, um, you know, we removed the um, most dangerous threat to the world, Donald Trump, from the White House. But really, that's the beginning of the work. I mean, 18 was a really nice um, moment, too. So maybe that was the first chapter, winning back the House and having a great election. 2020 closer than we would have liked. But um, we we removed the menace from the White House, uh, despite his lame protestations otherwise. Um, But the work's got to continue because the other side's not going to rest. You know, they, before they think about policy, they think about power and particularly with the Supreme Court, the way it's now situated, um, we really cannot afford to lose elections um, that we need to win. Um, you know, Ultimately, there will be more um, retirements or deaths on the court, and if they happen under a Biden administration, uh, maybe we're able to get another uh, justice or two, not to be morbid, but it's just the reality of the actuarial table, or maybe it happens in a Biden second term, or if a Democratic president wins in 24, if he doesn't win. But, um, you know, the court is looming out there, um, and not just Supreme Court, but, you know, benches all over the, the country. So um, we've ultimately got to rebalance that by uh, winning back the White House and holding the White House so that over a period of 8 or 12 years, um, you know, we can not just rebalance but hopefully have a more progressive judiciary uh, all over the country, building on what President Obama was able to do. And you know, certainly if Hillary had won, I think a lot of us thought, you know that could be two terms, and it'd be sixteen years of progressive judges. but but we didn't get that. and and unfortunately, um, the way uh, life unfolded, Trump got three Supreme Court justices in, in just four years. So we have to win elections. Um, we have to win them at the state level. We have to win them uh, at the federal level. We've gotta make sure we hold uh, the White House. Uh, and again, we see that you know if this was a popular vote system, um, we'd still have to fight, but um, you know it would be an easier route for us. But that's not gonna change anytime soon. I desperately hope it changes in my lifetime, certainly my kid's lifetime. But um, while we work at that, um, we have to figure out a way to get a little bit better hold on the Electoral College. Um, they're battleground states for a reason. They're battleground states. But we've got to make sure um, that the map stays expansive because we cannot afford to lose the presidency in 2024, um, given what's happening uh, with the judiciary. We can't have basically only four years out of a 12 or 16-year or period or 20-year period Um, with Democratic presidents from 16 on. So we have to do that. So, you know, everyone should rest up. Um, Everybody that, and I know so many people listen to this podcast, gave money to Joe Biden or candidates that you believed in or to causes. You made phone calls. You did TV canvassing where that was available. You wrote postcards. You posted on social media. You created content. I hope given how close this election was, that you feel really proud about what you're able to do. Because Joe Biden would not have won. Donald Trump would be getting ready to serve a second term as an American president uh, if you hadn't done all that. And it's really heroic what you're all able to do. So rather than be bummed out about um, the fact that we didn't win Florida or Texas, and again, I think we all both wished and hoped, and, and I think in many respects Donald Trump deserved a landslide defeat. That's not what we got. But the big thing is the big thing. Um, he's not going to be our president, and that simply wouldn't have happened without the work of all of you um, who did, many of you did more than you ever thought you, you could do in politics. Many of you got involved for the first time, and um, I hope you stick with it. Um, you can't do it every day you know, of, of every year, but um, find a way to stay involved, not just you know right before an election, um, because that's what it's going to take. Uh, I know we can put the numbers together um, to win a lot more elections than we lose. And I think we have the ability to get competitive in places where we desperately need to get more competitive, but it's going to take a lot of work. And you know, one thing I reflect on is going to sound um, self-serving to my former boss, but you know, Barack Obama was a really unique candidate. You know, you look at the margins he was able to win uh, in states like Wisconsin, Michigan, Pennsylvania. Um, you know, they did end up being they were not close. Uh, you know, the ability to put new states like Virginia and Colorado uh, firmly in play, the ability to put together a coalition in Florida you know, he was a unique candidate. So we need to be able to win in more places, more consistently, uh, when we don't have superstar candidate. Now, we had so many amazing candidates run and win in 18, more uh, in 2020, I'm sure I have more in 2022. And, you know, some of these folks are going to end up, uh, you know, being statewide candidates and, and presidential candidates. So, um, you know, candidate quality matters, trust me, it matters a lot to more than the quality of a campaign team. But, uh, um, you know, you're not going to have a a once-in-a-generation, by definition, candidate in every election. Uh, And so that's the work that's going to get done over the next two to four years to continue to register and do the foundational work um, to understand uh, the voters in these districts and states, to be uh, listening to them, not when we're just asking for the vote, but, but really listening to them and understanding how we can build common ground and work on issues sort of independent of federal elections locally that improve people's lives um, People who know a lot more uh, than I do are going to have some great ideas uh, in, in, the, in the coming months to build on the great activism we've seen in the first the first term of Donald Trump's presidency but now in Don, Joe Biden's first term um, you know we're gonna have to, to get at it um, because I, I think I like our electoral destiny, over the next couple decades more than the Republican Party. But to fully maximize that potential, we have to work harder. Uh, their voters just vote uh, in a more regular basis, uh, and particularly uh, given the Senate uh, right now where you know we're less competitive um, in as many states as the Republicans are. You know, California has two senators, and, and so does Wyoming, but um, we're at a natural disadvantage in the Senate, so we're gonna have to really become more competitive in more places, and then we just can't afford to miss opportunities. And of course, um, if we really want to, uh, to make the progress we want as a country, to make sure we have a judiciary that's more progressive from the Supreme Court on down. So, um, you know, there's gonna be a lot of uh, lessons that we learned from this election, things we did well, things we didn't do well, opportunities we seized, opportunities we missed. We have uh, so much to reflect on. And, um, you know, everyone needs to take a little bit of time uh, to go back to spending more time with your family and taking care of yourself, and um, you know we still have races to be called out there, holidays to get ready for, uh, a Biden administration to support, and we all need to be there for him uh, as he tries to move the country forward. But uh, but let's stay at it because I think the last four years has shown, particularly young people. I mean Joe Biden uh, is going to be the president-elect of the United States because of young people. His turnout's going to be. Um, almost as high as Barack Obama's in 2008 in terms of vote share, Um, but he's going to get a higher percentage of the vote under 29 than we did in 2012, which is such a key integral part of us winning a really tough re-election. So young people were such a big part of 2018. They've been such a big part of Valid initiatives that have won all over the country for the minimum wage and on environmental issues and civil rights issues and housing issues, um, and they really uh, are the you know such an important reason uh, that Joe Biden won this narrow uh, but uh, but decisive electoral college victory. So um, so a little bit of news on campaign HQ. Uh, my goal when I set out uh, to do this podcast way back in the fall of 2019. Uh, was to uh, just bring to as many people who really wanted to learn more about campaigns, uh, delegates back in the primary, the calendar, Um, You really go deep in battleground states, uh, go deep in some of the disciplines of the campaign, really to do that through the election. So here we are. Um, We uh, either have an outcome when you're listening to this that's been uh, formally ratified or we're heading to that. Uh, And so uh, I want to bring this podcast back in 2022 in some form, Uh, as we uh, get ready to to learn more about some of these key Senate and House and and gubernatorial races and down-ballot races, secretaries of state races. So I'll do that. Uh, I'm not sure how many more episodes we'll do of this. Um, We'll see. That will be determined by kind of where we are. But I just want to thank all of you for coming on the journey. Uh, It's been such a pleasure for me to have amazing guests on that I have learned from in every episode, and I hope you have as well, Uh, and kind of travel this momentous election with all of you. So it's been such a real pleasure. I hope you've got some enjoyment out of it, learned a few things along the way, and I can't wait. Uh, Maybe I'll talk to you next week. I'll keep you posted on that. But if not, we'll be back in 2022, and uh, we'll go deep into the states and and voters and what we're seeing in that election. So hang in there, everybody. Get some rest uh, this weekend, and uh, congratulations again on a job well done.